Your Brain on Weird is recorded in private homes in a state where marijuana is recreationally legal. This show's content is intended for adult audiences only. brain on weird i am sam i am sage and this is our podcast indeed about the the weird the wild the paranormal ghosts cryptids weird adventures and weed yes all of our favorites how are you doing sage i'm doing pretty okay i had a good weekend with you hanging out Woo! outside doing shit that was great and then yesterday i went and bailed hay for like three hours in 95 degree heat in the sun and uh so it i'm just i mean it was okay like it, it like definitely could have been worse but it uh was a lot on my body so i'm very tired so i slept for <laughs> As soon as I got home last night, I basically went to bed, and then I slept basically all day today, um, up until about a few hours ago. So I'm just very tired. Yeah, but I'm doing yeah. good. I had a, like a satisfying, rewarding weekend. So like I'm like tired but happy. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Anyway, how are you? I am about the same. Yay, kind of. Yeah, except I did have to go to work this morning. Well, but we're just like dead <laughs> after like how being like slammed for two weeks straight we had like no one in our restaurant this morning so like that was really sad oh yeah that's kind of depressing yeah but i got <sighs> to leave at noon so oh okay well that's good yeah yeah so that was fine honestly sometimes i'll just take the pay cut and it'll be fine yeah i'll take the time off i came home and i napped for two hours it was awesome great worth it um yeah also, Nick finished trimming our weed over the weekend and started jarring it up, and he gave me a little bit to try today, and it definitely is weed. It definitely <laughs> it got is me high. Weed. <laughs> nice. It also, like, I had, like, the most, like, completely zonked out sleep that I've, like, had in a really long time during my nap. I, like, woke up in the same position that I fell asleep in. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Those are the... That's a good nap. I, like, woke up and I was like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, I haven't moved in, like, two yeah. hours. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's great. Yeah. Do you know, Do you know like, what kind of strain it is? Like, do you have any idea? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> no. Um, Nick, Nick told me... And he keeps changing his mind about what it is. So it's like mm -hmm. fizzy pop. Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> or something like that. Interesting. Okay. Something pop. That doesn't sound like it would make you fall asleep for. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Huh. I don't nice. even know any strains with pop in them. But also, this is just like some guys, you know? Mm hmm. When I looked so. at it this weekend, it looked great. So. It's, it spells. It smells great. It like tastes it smells good. good. It spells real good. You know what it spells? Hi. <laughs> H-I. <laughs> it's just two letters. Perfect. Ha. Ha. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I'm doing. Wonderful. Are you hydrated? 
I am not really. I gotta. I gotta say, I just finished my like first bottle of the day after yeah. I woke up from my nap. So I'm gonna try to do better for the rest of the day. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. How hydrated are you? I know you slept most of the day, so you haven't had that much time to hydrate. No, I think I've had I've had three glasses of water, and this is my fourth. So I'm like okay. doing okay. Well, two and a half. Because I uh, put the other half in the cat's water dish. Oh, okay. Oh, these guys need to get watered too. Well, Ash kept trying to drink my water, and I was like, "Bro!" And it like had ice in it. I was like, "Dude, you just like want the cold water here? Like, just take it." Gave him the ice too. Great, love that. For We're him. all hydrated together, Yay. and I watered my plants this morning too. So we're all hydrated. I also watered all of my plants this morning because it's hot as shit yeah so yep i'm very gassy today (laughs) like more than usual well that is okay thank you i can just cut out the majority of the burping that's fair thank you (laughs) i'll put it in the file the separate file that we have thank you for your service oh yes you're welcome okay well are you ready yes are you ready i'm better for part two of the Loch Ness Monster. Dun, dun, dun. Loch Ness Monster. So, uh, I will apologize. I know nobody has complained, but I feel like um, part one was a little boring. Um, it was mostly just, like, photographs and stuff that have been debunked. And uh, basically just being like, oh, here's this thing. Oh, just kidding. It's nothing. It's an otter or something else. So... Part two is kind of more recent developments and some of the bigger studies that have been done, as well as possible theories for what the Loch Ness Monster is. Okay. This part gives me a little bit more hope. Some of the evidence is very intriguing. Let's do it. So the Loch Ness Monster, for anyone who doesn't know, or if you skipped part one, which honestly is fine, is a supposedly very shy creature, a cryptid, I'm going to say, that lives in Loch Ness. It's known as having kind of a snake-like, sometimes uh, horse-like head and a really long body with like a tail and flippers or fins or something. So yeah, if you would like to know more, you can look up Nessie as well. Uh, So in part one, we talked a little bit about the Loch Ness Phenomena Investigation Bureau, or LNPIB. Oh, yes. LNPIB. Or LNPIB. Nope. Doesn't sound good. I don't know. LNPIB. So they've done a lot of investigation on uh, Loch Ness, but another person who's done a lot of it is Robert Rines. So Robert Rines is actually a really interesting person. He's an American lawyer, inventor, musician, and composer with a Bachelor of Science from MIT in Boston, Massachusetts, interestingly enough. He holds over 80 patents and in March 2004 received the Boston Patent Law Association Lifetime Achievement Award. For having so many patents. Basically. For just being like, hey, here's this thing I developed. And they're like, wow, cool. That's so funny. Good for you. Another really neat thing is that at age 11, he played a violin duet with Albert Einstein at a summer camp in Maine. That is exciting. Yeah. Apparently a very well-rounded person. So he's done a lot of stuff with Nessie and Loch Ness. 
Uh, starting in 1972, Ryan's reported seeing a large, a large hump in the water. Okay. Uh, covered with rough, mottled skin similar to the back of an elephant in the lock. And for the next 35 years, he led multiple expeditions of the lock using high-tech equipment that he had designed. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, so this guy's I like- the perfect thing for this. Literally, he's, he's like- My oh. time to shine. He was like, you know what would work? We'll just try- We'll just do this. We'll just do this. And he would just like develop it. And yeah. be like, okay, cool. Yeah. And one of the things that he developed was a submersible camera with a floodlight that would turn on if anything was detected. So basically, if they saw something, this light would turn on and then the camera would automatically take a picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And another thing is that they took precautions to avoid murky water or areas with a lot of floating debris. Yeah, that makes sense. Good science. Very good. Perfect. <laughs> so on August 8th, 1972, a sonar unit operating at a depth of 11 meters or 36 feet um, detected a moving target estimated to be 20 to 30 feet in length. And the data indicated that a 10-foot appendage was protruding from one of the scans, suggesting that the shape had a flexible, flattened tail. Ooh. Yes. Um, Along with the sonar readings, two pictures were taken, both depicting what appeared to be a rhomboid-shaped flipper. And it was photographed in different positions, indicating movement. So, let me show you. Oh yeah, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of pictures of this one. Okay, that's fair. Uh, just to be clear, there are no native dolphins or sharks in the loch, right? Because it's Ireland, right? We'll get into that. But uh, okay, short answer, no. Okay. Ooh, a flipper. It does like really look like a flipper. Yeah. Or a squid. Squid head. Yeah. Ugh. That kind of creeps me out. Because the elephant squid thing. Remember from oh, part yeah. one? Yeah. Squid head. The elephant squid or that was the same thing as the Loch Ness Muppet. That picture with the weird, um, like the smiling like Loch Ness monster. Ugh. So weird. Anyway. So also in 1972, there was another sonar contact made, this time with two objects measuring about 30 feet. And those photos have rarely been published, so we don't really know like what's like going on with those, but there was like another sonar contact made also in that year. And another thing that Rhines really emphasized was that there was no retouching done on any of the photos or no editing and the only editing that he knew that was done was done by a magazine editor to like maybe like mess with the contrast or something so Mm -hmm. uh and then three years later in 1975 british naturalist peter scott announced that the creature's scientific name would be nesoteras romdopteryx which is greek for ness inhabitant with diamond-shaped fin I might be pronouncing that wrong. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. Sounded great. I did pronounce it a few times when I was doing the notes. So I practiced. We'll see. (laughs) Um, So him giving it a scientific name would enable the creature to be put on the register of protected wildlife. So there was a reason that they did that. That makes sense. So apparently with this whole thing, there was a politician named Nicholas Fairbarn that called the name an anagram for Monster Hoax by Sir Peter S. I would love to run that phrase through a modern day word scrambler thing. Yes. So here's the other thing is that rhymes. So 
we know Robert Rines now. We know he's mm-hmm. like a genius. So he was like, no, no, no. Here's the thing is that it could also be an anagram for, yes, both picks are monsters. Are. <laughs> he was on it, man. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't give you enough credit, Ryan. <laughs> Amazing. R. R. Um, it shouldn't have messed with him, man. I don't know why this guy even bothered. He's like a genius. <laughs> So, also in 1975, um, Ryan's conducted a second search where he caught some more convincing photographs, and one appeared to show the head, neck, and upper torso of a plesiosaur-like animal. So, I will send that to you. It's actually kind of freaky. The first time I saw it, I kind of got chills, um, because what I just described is exactly what it looks like, and it's, yeah, here's that. Oh, weird. It's really weird. Yeah, that's very strange. Gross. And there were three pictures. Um, So there are two other pictures that were before and after that. So that indicated that it was moving. So Interesting. Yes. Skipping ahead to 1987, Operation Deep Scan. Sounds very cool. Deep Scan. Deep Scan. Deep Toot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Wait, what is that from? Uh, Fairly Odd Parents. Okay, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So good. Oh my god, that show is so good. <sighs> okay. Um, so Operation Deep Scan had 24 boats equipped with echo sounding equipment that were deployed on the lock and simultaneously sending out these like acoustic waves. And the scientists made sonar contact with an unidentified object of unusual size and strength. So after this, the researchers went back to the area, scanned it. They found a bunch of debris that was sitting at the bottom of the lock, but there was three pictures that showed motion. So the debris like didn't explain the fact that there was movement. Adrian Shine apparently speculated with these pictures that they may have been seals by the way. Do you remember Adrian Shine? Yeah. 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 Seals. Seals. Oh, also in 1987, sonar expert Daryl Lawrence examined a sonar scan indicating a large moving object at 180 meters or 590 feet near Urquhart Bay. So very, very far down. And the quote that I found said, Daryl Lawrence said, there's something here that we don't understand. Something here that's larger than a fish. Maybe some species that hasn't been detected before. I don't know. Big ass fish. (laughs) Yes. So now we're going to skip ahead to 2001. Um, Rhine's Academy of Applied Science recorded a V-shaped wake in the water on a calm day. Um, And they also taped an object on the floor of the lock resembling a carcass. They found marine clamshells and a fungus-like organism not normally found in freshwater locks. So that suggests that there's a connection to the sea somewhere and a possible path for something like a creature to travel in and out to the sea and bring these things into the lock. So Wild. Very cool. Also, I have the picture of this carcass, quote-unquote, that they found also kind of freaky what is the carcass supposed to be of um you'll probably oh, like a dead one of these things yeah oh, yeah yeah 
Oh, weird. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. Indeed. Um, Okay, so in 2008, Robert Ryans came out and announced that he thought this creature might have gone extinct because there was suddenly a lack of sonar readings and sightings, and he thinks that the animals have failed to adapt to climate change. And that's the reason why we're not seeing as many sightings. Oh, sad. Because between the 1930s and really the early 1970s, 1980s, there was a ton of sightings, and now there's just nothing. So, interestingly enough, we are now going to go to 2020, when a bunch of other shit happened. So, um, in late November, oh, this comes from the Strathsby Herald, by the way. I just wanted to say Strathsby. Strathsby. Strathsby Herald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in late November of 2020, a cruise lock nest boat that had about 12 passengers on it um, picked up a really <laughs> a huge object on sonar about 558 feet down. And it was about 33 feet long. And it apparently only showed up for 10 seconds. Oh, shit. So... Ronald McKenzie, who was, who's the person who, I think he's like the captain of the boat, probably, or he's the person who runs the investigations, said that he was one of the only people who was watching the sonar. And conveniently, there was a sea eagle that had just like flown over the boat. And so all of the passengers were distracted because it was like super rare to see one of them. And everyone was like looking at the sea eagle. So everyone's looking up. He's like the only person looking down. He sees this thing for 10 seconds and he's like, holy shit. And then it's just gone. Very cool. Interesting. So that was the first thing. And this was in late November. And then on October 11th, there was a large creature that came up on sonar just above the bottom of the lock. So at about 607 feet down. Okay. So I'm going to show you the first photo. And then I will show you the second photo. So here is November. Yep. Oh, November. And then this is October. So probably like a week or two later. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the second one, this October 11 one, 11th one, was a single animate object that was estimated to be between 15 to 30 feet long. So, Weird. yes. So one of the things that they said is that this was really interesting because previous technology before 2020, um, the sonar only really allowed them to map the bottom of the seafloor. So basically like from the top looking down Mm -hmm. and because of the way it scans, it's kind of hard to catch the things that are like in the column in between. So the fact that it was strangely close to the lock bed, but not on it, like it was like 60 feet above the like bottom of the lock. He just like thought it was really strange because that's one of the places that it's really, really hard to pick things up on sonar. Um, He said it could have been a shoal of fish, but they don't normally find one of that size and at that depth in the lock. The other thing is that that first one only lasted like 10 seconds. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that Ronald McKenzie said is that, okay, this quote got me. He said, I just wonder if it's due to lockdown. There's been nothing moving, nothing moving boats on the surface of the lock and i wonder if it has encouraged it to move about i don't know i can't explain it i was even reluctant to make it public wow yeah 
So it was just lying low because there was too many people around. Yeah, and now that they're since everyone was like locked down, there wasn't as many boats on the water, not as many like tourists and stuff. It was like, okay, maybe I can come out. Wild. And so yeah, like that's wild to think about. Yeah. So the combination of the technology being way better now and the fact that lockdown happened for like everybody last year. I don't know. Um weird. Ooh. This one was another picture that was taken in 2020 that people were arguing over for a while. So I'll send that to you. But it's apparently just this huge creature in the lock. And I mean, it's like a really clear photo. So, uh... Oh, weird. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. So now we can kind of get into the uh, possible explanations for what... Nessie is. One of those explanations is that it could be a Wells catfish, and that's what people think this photo is. Okay. It's a large species that lives for up to 50 years. Um, It can grow to be up to 16 feet and weighs over 660 pounds. So these things are fucking huge. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, is that they're extremely rare. And the other thing is that it only grows up to be grows to be up to 16 feet, it's possible that it could just be a huge one of these. Yeah. Okay. That's number one. One of the most popular theories is that it could just be a large eel. (laughs) Which doesn't explain a few things, but that's okay. Eel. (laughs) Eel. Eels are found in the lock. It could just be a huge eel. Um, DNA samples suggest that there's just a shit ton of eels in this lake. And... It could just be giant eels that people are seeing. That doesn't check out for me. I didn't think eels got nearly that big. I don't think they do. They're and so pretty, they're pretty small. Yeah. The other thing that doesn't check out is that eels like undulate. They move like snakes. They like swim back yeah. and forth. And that's not That's not what that's doing. No. It's like cresting. Yeah. 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 So, doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say no. No eels. No to large eels. I'm sorry. Another explanation is it could be an elephant. There was that elephant squid that that guy said that he summoned, which was the Loch Ness Muppet with the trunk yeah. sticking out of the water we just talked about. Yeah. And in 2006, there was a guy named Neil Clark who suggested that traveling circuses may have let their elephants bathe in the loch. And that led to sightings. That seems like a stretch. It does. How many traveling circuses are coming through and letting their fucking elephants bathe in the lock? (laughs) That's kind of my question. Like, okay, so now I need to know how often these circuses came through. Because, you know, did people know that they were coming through? Did they make a ton of noise? I mean, it's not like it would just be one solitary elephant just chilling with, like, nothing else around it, right? I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that one, uh, uh, I have questions. Yeah. So that's elephants. I'm gonna say most Fuck likely em. no to elephants. <laughs> no, no elephants. Um, and then earlier you brought up sharks. So apparently there's a TV series called River Monsters, And they basically made the conclusion, like, they were like, this is it, that Nessie is a Greenland shark. First of all, Greenland sharks are, like, absolutely wild. They're 
pretty freaky looking. Um, they live in really, really deep water. And they live in the North Atlantic Ocean around Scotland. So that area surrounding. They're really dark in color and they have a small dorsal fin. They could possibly survive in freshwater. And the loch has an abundance of salmon and other fish for it to feed off of. So. Interesting. Provided that we believe that there's a connection to the ocean. Yeah. I guess that could work. Um, and that would explain why people think that it, like, kind of looks like a shark. But the thing is, is that if you look up a picture of a Greenland shark, like, it's very obviously a shark, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I am very good at spelling. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a shark. Yep. That's a shark. Like, it... So I don't know. And and that doesn't explain the long neck thing. I guess that could have been what that picture that was taken in 2020 could be. Like that. Yeah. Uh, so. <sighs> Interesting. Indeed. Um, more explanations include otters. Yes. Mammals like manatees. It could be a long necked newt. That's one thing somebody said. The book that I have, The Great Orm of Loch Ness by F.W. Holiday. They, they believe that it's a large invertebrate similar to a bristle worm, which I don't want to recommend that you look up a bristle worm because they're terrifying. They don't look anything like Nessie. They don't look cute. They don't make me want to believe this thing exists. They're scary. So I don't want to believe oh. that. <laughs> okay. They're basically these huge worms that live in the mud and... They just, like, come out and they have, I mean, they look like um, hagfish. You know what a hagfish looks like? It's, like, basically an eel. Yeah. And they have these terrifying, like, teeth. Like, they're just, yeah, they're freaking. Um, Don't love that. So, like, it matches up with the eel explanation, but everything else doesn't check out for me. No fins. No nothing. No, yeah. Nope. More explanations could be schools of fish. Um, rocks. Rocks. Air bubbles. <laughs> Maybe people are just taking pictures of the bottom of the lock and all of the debris that's down there, logs and like tree stumps and shit. One of the explanations that I saw was that uh, when pine logs are fermenting, they, when they're decomposing, they can rise to the surface of the lock. We kind of talked about this before with Champ, I think. Mm-hmm. And another thing, another interesting thing is that Apparently, when a log is decomposing, it releases a lot of gases because there's a ton of resin in the wood. And so the gas pressure builds up and it can rupture a seal in the side and like basically just like like the pressure results in it being propelled across the water. Oh, shit. <laughs> so it like makes it look like it's moving. Yeah, that's so funny. It's just a tree exploding from the inside. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I actually... I buy that. <laughs> I, I do yeah. buy that. <laughs> Listen, I've seen trees do some weird shit on their own. Like, yeah. 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 That's the thing. You live, like, right on the river, so you, like... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another thing that we've talked about before is seiches. S-E-I-C-H-E-S. Um, it's a large oscillation of a lake caused by water reverting to its natural level after being blown to one end of the lake. So, oh. it being blown to one end results in a standing wave, is what they call it. 
So it could just be people seeing these, quote, standing waves. And apparently the oscillation period of Loch Ness is 31.5 minutes. Oh. So that's the time it takes for it to go back and forth. Weird. So by that logic, we should be seeing Nessie every 31.5 minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, now we're going to get into the fun ones. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Here's where it gets fun. This is why I was excited to talk about this. Ha ha. So one of the more interesting explanations is that it could be seismic gas. So Loch Ness lies on the Great Glen Fault. And so gas could be released through the fault lines. And maybe people are seeing these bubbles and stuff being released from the floor. And if you remember the first sighting in like, what, like 500 or something, that St. Columba guy who saw the monster. Yeah. In the story, it says that the creature's emergence was accompanied with a loud roaring. So it could have just been an earthquake and oh, yeah. gas being released through the water. And it was, you know, still pretty early. I'm sure people didn't really know what was going on. I wonder uh, if it's the bubble breaking the surface. Mm-hmm. And, po- and like, popping and releasing that gas. Yeah. That's making that noise. Yeah. That's wild. And it just, like, freaked like a balloon, everybody out. Just, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wild. Wild. <laughs> Another fun one that, um, thank you to Katie Webb for bringing this one up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it could just be a whale penis. Could be. So, me- what I'm saying is that I'm not necessarily recommending that you Google it, you know, maybe go in an incognito tab or something. I don't know, whatever. Make sure you're not at work. And Google what a whale penis looks like. Um, It checks out. It does. So, uh, yeah. A little weird. A little weird. A little gross. Yep. I saw it once and I said, interesting. And now I'm... Now it's burned into my brain. And now we're moving on. So... (laughs) The theory that I really, really want to believe is that Nessie is a plesiosaur. The stories that you hear, it like bears a really striking resemblance to a plesiosaur with like the fins and stuff, um, and like the horse head. So plesiosaurs are a long-necked aquatic reptile that became extinct during the Cretaceous Paleogene extinction event 66 million years ago that wiped out one third of the planet, two thirds of the planet, actually. Um, that's a really fucking long time ago. And Loch Ness is only about 10,000 years old compared to 66 million. Before then, it was completely frozen. But in a 2006 article in New Scientist, Leslie Noe said that the osteology of the neck would not allow it to lift its head swan-like, quote, out of the water. If you look up a picture of a plesiosaur, it like kind of makes sense. Their like necks don't really move like that. I don't know. Maybe they do. As far as we know. As far as we know, that's the thing. (laughs) If they did live in the lock, they would be seen frequently as they would have to resurface for oxygen. Yeah, that was also something I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. So, but here, okay. I I have something for you. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing when I was reading this that I thought of is, if this thing has been around for this long... It's definitely evolved past the state of what we probably assume it was however long ago, right? Right. So 
A lot of people have argued that a trapped marine creature could have evolved into a completely other creature by now, and we would never know. And Robert Rhines himself said that the, quote, horns in some of the photos, apparently it shows some of them, they think it has horns, um, could even be breathing tubes that allow it to breathe without breaking the surface. Oh. Kind of a stretch, Robert? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Breathing tubes. Okay. Okay. I really, really would like to believe that Nessie is the ghost of a plesiosaur, or a ghost of whatever creature this was. And I think there are, yes. there are a lot of other people that uh, believe this, so I'm in that camp. So good. Honestly, it's, so it's good. odd and it makes sense because, like, how the fuck is there going to be a plesiosaurus in that river for at least 10 million years? No corpses. No, it's just not like, a thing. Like, no babies or anything. Yeah. And there was a study that was conducted in 2008 where they basically just, like, scanned, like, tested all of the DNA of the lock. Like, everything in the water, everything in the mud. Like, they just tested all the DNA to see, like, what was in the lock. And the closest things that they found were, like, otters and eels and stuff. So they didn't find any shark or catfish or, like, sturgeon DNA in the lake at all. So. Interesting. It could still be the ghost of one. The ghost. Ghosts don't necessarily have DNA. It's true. They're (laughs) non-corporeal. Ooh, that's a good word. Thank you. All right. So the last little uh, bit that I have for us is in part one, I mentioned how there's a theory that Aleister Crowley summoned the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, I would love to hear it. Once again, thank you to Greg Newkirk for writing this article. This is from Week and Weird in 2011. If you want to go read it, I highly recommend that you do. Greg is really good at uh, getting a lot of really weird information out of this stuff. For anybody who doesn't know, um, Aleister Crowley was an occultist, ceremonial magician, and he did a bunch of other weird stuff, I guess. Yes. <laughs> he wrote the Book of the Law. He established the Lama. Um We talked about him a little bit in our Satanism episode because Thelema is pretty closely related to Satanism. Aleister Crowley was initiated into the Hermetic Society of the Golden Dawn as a young man as a result of his interest in alchemy. Basically, Crowley had a really wealthy family and he had infinite time and resources, so he was able to do all this weird stuff. And in 1889... He purchased the Boleskine House on Loch Ness. So it was basically this really historical house. Um, If you want to look up the history on it, it's pretty interesting. But he bought this house on Loch Ness. And he bought it because it was perfect for his rituals. It was like facing all of the right directions. Like he perfectly chose this house. Another really interesting thing that he did was he built this terrace that he filled with river sand, where he claimed the footprints of spirits would appear. Interesting. I actually thought that was a very interesting method. Actually, yeah. Yeah. And he considered the Boleskine house to be the Thalamic Mecca. So essentially essentially a powerful center for magical energy, um, like the ideal place to go and perform a ritual. And Crowley intended to evoke what he called the Lords of Darkness in a painstaking six-month ritual 
Basically, what he was trying to do was compel the Lords of Darkness to serve the forces of good. Essentially trying to force dark entities to, quote, return to the light. Interesting. Not necessarily an easy thing to do, I would assume. Yeah. Um, so he expected that these entities were going to put up a fight. And so it was going to be this whole six-month thing. So he started his six-month thing, and all of this stuff started to develop, where um, one day he came back from hunting, and there was a Catholic priest sitting in his study. The priest explained that Crowley's lodgekeeper, who had been abstinent for 20 years, had been drunk for three days, and had tried to kill his wife and children. Just out of nowhere. Interesting. So Crowley hired somebody to take this guy's place, and he too began to show signs of just like panic and fear all the time. So he left. And then a man that Crowley hired for general labor uh, slowly just started to completely go mad and attempted to kill Crowley. And a local butcher had cut off his own hand Oh my god! while reading some of Crowley's notes. Oh my god. Yes. Seems a little extreme, but oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So Crowley started to tell his friends and family that they couldn't come to visit him because he feared for their safety. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. So he was basically just there alone after a while dealing with whatever. So he's just like chilling at the Bullskine house and suddenly the Golden Dawn contacts Crowley for help. Because one of their leaders hadn't been successful at contacting a group of very specific beings, and they were getting tired of it. So, oh, okay, just ceremonial things. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. yeah. So Crowley had promised them his help. Uh, so he dropped his rituals and left for Paris. And shortly after he left, locals began to complain of black clouds over the Bullskine house, and his protege apparently fled the house while he was gone. Interesting. So he got back from Paris, and he was there for a very short period of time, and he immediately left for New York. He came back for another short period of time, and he left for Egypt. So he didn't really spend that much time at the Bullskine house. Yeah. So after after he decided to sell it, it changed hands many times. Um, all of the owners reported strings of terrible luck. There was a British film star named George Sanders who purchased the house with the intention of having a pig farm. Okay. His venture completely failed. His business partner got sent to jail and all of his animals starved to death. So it did not work out well at all. Another thing is that there was a retired army major who committed suicide in Crowley's old bedroom. Ooh. Yeah. Um, He apparently shot himself. Uh, so all of this basically led to believers thinking that this unfinished ritual, this unfinished ceremony had led to this portal being opened. And that was around the time in 1933 when the Loch Ness Monster began to come back and people started Uh, seeing it again. Interesting. So in the Orm of Loch Ness, that book that I have by F.W. Holliday, we're led to believe that the creature is supernatural in origin. I loved this sentence. 
Quote, Holiday postulated that the creature's apparent self-concealing phenomena was evidence that it could possibly be related to the aftermath of Crowley's preternatural fuck-up. Ha. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in 1934, uh, Crowley declared bankruptcy, and that was basically the beginning of the end for him. Um, in the following decade, Crowley developed a heroin addiction and died of a respiratory infection at the age of 72. Interesting. It's also reported that his last words were, Sometimes I hate myself. Oh, that's Oof. sad. Oof. So, after his death, I think it went to one other person before it went to him, but Jimmy Page, who's the Led Zeppelin, or, uh, Jimmy Page, who's the guitarist of Led Zeppelin. Yes. And he's also an occult, enth- occult enthusiast. Hmm. He purchased the house in the early 70s, uh, full knowing the importance of the property to occult people. Mm -hmm. And he immediately claimed that he got bad vibes from the building. Um, He didn't really spend that much time at the house. So he basically just like bought it and was like, oof, I don't want to hang out here. So he sold it to Ronald and Annette McGilvray in 1992. And upon Ronald's passing, it was sold as a summer home to a couple from the Netherlands. So it changed hands a few times. And then in 2015, it suffered a devastating fire, which rendered it uninhabitable. So it is currently not doing so great. (laughs) The entire (laughs) roof is essentially caved in. And in 2019, they put it on the market. And the Boleskine Foundation purchased it so they have the intent of preserving it and rebuilding it so that's good at least so i will send you a picture of the house is it the house that comes up with every picture of loch ness uh maybe i mean it's not a castle it doesn't look like (laughs) yeah um, yeah it's it's like a house oh shit weird yeah maybe they should just let it burn to the ground man well, but yeah, so like essentially now the entire, just the entire roof is caved in and um, I like follow the restoration on Twitter and they post pictures every once in a while. It's actually like kind of cool. Interesting. That's one of like the living room, <laughs> what it looks like now. Uh, rip. So, yeah. Another thing that I see a lot of people doing, and I don't know if I would necessarily recommend it, is taking pieces of the Boleskine house, like pieces yeah, of like that. the brick and stuff. I like would not do that. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's the Boleskine house and um, the story of how Aleister Crowley might have summoned the Loch Ness Monster, because also consider the fact that Crowley died in the 70s, and that's about when the sightings died out. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So. Wee, 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 wee. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. And in standard me fashion, I have a few quotes for you to end this yes. with. And then uh, I'm done. So this comes from Robert Binns, who runs the Loch Ness Investigation Bureau. Um, he says there's probably no ex- no single explanation. So this guy wrote two books on the subject where he basically explained that human psychology has led to people just seeing things. 
So he thinks it's a mix of misidentifications, imagination, hoaxes, and large animals. Bins claims that it is a myth in the true sense of the term. The monster is a sociological phenomenon. Eyewitness accounts outweigh all other considerations. Yeah. So that was the science behind what we think is in Loch Ness what we think Nessie could be, because I still think that there's something going on. Just don't know what. We just could don't just know. Could just be a big-ass fish. And even that would be pretty cool if they even, found that. Even that would be wild. And the other thing is, it just, like, again, makes my brain explode. Because, like, there was, like, the sonar that blipped for, like, ten seconds and then went away. Yeah. yeah. Just all that, like, the weird stuff. The sonar gets me. That yeah. Was, that seems great. Yes. I don't know that much about sonar, so it's probably pretty good. I don't I don't know how easy it is to like debunk that kind of stuff. That gets me and the other thing that I like think about with the whole like ghost thing, like the fact that it could be a ghost is that uh a big theory in the paranormal is things like this evading being caught by uh modern technology like on cameras and videos and stuff like that disappearing evidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. People like catch pictures and then the pictures just disappear. We don't know where they went. It could be like Bigfoot, where it's just one of those things that does exist and we will never ever find it because it's smarter than us and tends to evade us every single time. Yeah. That's pretty likely, actually. Mm hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes. Thank anyway. You for- telling me all about Nessie. I have long been interested after I watched the Scooby-Doo special. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I also saw that somebody found the model. You know how I mentioned in part one that the model, they, like, left the model Nessie at the bottom of the lock? Yeah. Somebody apparently found it. Oh, shit. That's pretty funny. I don't remember when, but I was gonna go take a bong hit but i'm gonna wait until after we're done talking about weed okay yeah hype yourself up i'm almost done with my coffee so it's it's pretty funny i just got googled weed news mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's a lava fire near a town called weed oh god which is terrifying actually that's yeah that's terrifying but the fact that there's a town called weed is kind of funny yeah I hope the people of weed are okay. Me too. This goes out to you, weed. (laughs) I wonder how hard it is to just, like, I mean, it's probably pretty difficult to just, like, make a town and just call it, like, whatever. You know? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) You need fancy things. You can't just stick a flag in the ground anymore and be like, I live here. Damn it. We should bring that back. Bring back Uh just declaring that this is your land. Actually, I I don't know if I'm okay with that. (laughs) Britain, looking at you. Actually, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something that uh, is very near and dear to us. And it's, um, is weed gay? Yes. Next question. So, someone on Leafly, C. Merton, had... The same question. So, uh, they decided to... (laughs) Say it out. Woo! Okay. So, God. Nick just got back. 
Okay. <laughs> so, we all know the answer to this question is yes, but how do queer people make weed gay? And the answer is, like most marginalized communities, um, queer people struggle with uh, access to affordable health care. I see where you're going with this. And tend to live in poverty at a disproportionate rate. Um, and that number is, of course, driven up very high by the number of trans people that are out on the streets and queer people of color. Mm-hmm. So, because there's uh, not really access to uh, affordable health care, the queer community has turned to self-medicating, which in this case is cannabis. It's um, a tool that was actually used a lot at the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And mm. in the 1980s, the American healthcare system uh, largely turned, and the entire country largely turned a blind eye to the AIDS epidemic. And it killed hundreds of thousands of queer people, but they were already starting to match up weed strains with uh, relieving symptoms and uh, mm. things like that. Uh, for people who were sick. Yeah. Especially in terms of appetites, um, reducing nausea, and easing muscle pain. We were talking about this literally the other day. Yeah, I know. That's why I figured we'll talk about it. Again. Again! Because <laughs> I, d- I think it's very important. Yeah. Um, Except for we were just saying that there's uh, less cool old people now. And that's part yeah, of the reason that why. that is the truth. That AIDS is the crisis truth. killed off all the really cool people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the very first people to rally for cannabis legalization for medical use was Denise Perrin, um, who was an activist and also um, advocated for AIDS patients as well um, in a time where people thought that if you were just around them, then you were going to get sick and die. Yeah. And um, whatever. So Perrin co-authored the first statewide medical cannabis bill in California in 1996. Perrin also helped found the San Francisco Cannabis Buyers Club, the first dispensary in the United States to help HIV and AIDS patients access medical marijuana. Oh, great. Good for her. Yeah. She's great. Another thi- uh, another reason cannabis is tied so closely with the queer community is before and after care for lots of surgery. Cannabis has pain relieving qualities, as we know, but also like anti-inflammatory properties, the same as um like any NS NSAID and NSAID um like over the counter Advil whatever has. Um, and can help with uh, the early days of pain management. Mm-hmm. This does say, don't smoke right before your procedure. <laughs> and plan to consume your cannabis without smoking it to keep oxygen flowing through your body. Nice. Okay. Yes. Smart. Yes. Um, so the next thing is queer people are more likely to suffer from substance abuse and addiction. So 
opioids, tobacco, alcohol is all way more addictive than marijuana is. So it's just like, even if people are using it for pain, they're also using it for, uh, like, just to get high, too. Because it's, like, the only non-addictive substance out there that's still, like, relatively cheap and easy to come by. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, cannabis can be really helpful with, like, getting people off of opioids is another yeah. thing. So. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. So lots of queer people smoke weed. And <laughs> that's gay and I love it. That's gay and I love it, too. And at the end of Pride Month, as this is, uh, I just invite everyone to check back and do some more research about what the AIDS epidemic was and what it did to our community. Mm-hmm. Because... I feel like a lot of young queer people aren't really aware that there's a reason that there's no one who's, or there's very few people in their, like, 50s and 60s and 70s that are queer, and that's because a whole generation of people died off. So on that depressing note, well, go look up some, go go do your research. Yes. I will fully admit I did not know anything about that. Until Sam brought it up. And, like, as yeah. soon as Sam brought it up, I was like, shit, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's, like, kind of weird to think about it. Because you don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's very sad to though. think about. And it's also, like, really sad to think about how that's just, like, not taught. Like, because, I mean, they don't teach that shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, they teach about the AIDS crisis and stuff. But, like, I mean, in my school, they didn't emphasize how, like, tragic it was for the queer community. I mean. Yeah. It was devastating. Devastating. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's okay, because my my Nessie stuff was relatively lighthearted. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and don't forget, weed makes you gay, so there's that. It's too. true. All I'm saying is that I wasn't gay until I smoked weed. That's ah. all I'm saying. Ah. Or at least I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't aware. <laughs> Good shit. Ah. All right. Well, if you liked our weird gay monster stories, that sounds bad. This is not, this isn't anything sexual. This isn't about weird (laughs) gay monsters. It's just about weird, comma, gay, comma, monsters. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, (laughs) lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Anyway, so if you liked... Whatever this was, you can go to our website. It's yourbrainonweird.com, and all of our stuff is there. You can buy stickers and t-shirts and other merch, and you can find our submission box where you can send us your weird stories or suggestions for stories for us to cover if you would like. Do it. Do it. You can also find our social media there. Twitter is the one that we use the most. We don't really use any of the other ones. Facebook and Instagram suck, so... There's nothing really there. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not. We're more fun on Twitter anyway. Oh, also, we hit 420 followers. Finally. Wow. Yes. Wonderful. Blaze it. Blaze it. Oh, also, if you um, are interested in helping us 
uh, invest in ghost hunting equipment and trips to go ghost hunting and stuff like that, we have a Patreon. You can subscribe to our Patreon and you get stuff in return, which is good. We don't just take your money. We actually give you stuff. Yeah. Cool stuff, like t-shirts and mugs and shit. So. And cool content. Yes. So subscribe to our Patreon if you would like to help us out. We really appreciate it. And also thank you to all of our current patrons. And that's all I got. Yay. Yay. Yeah. I got nothing else to say. Thanks again for listening. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Sage. And I'm Sam. And this has been Your Brain on Weird. Good night. Good night.